So if you have a company and it has a tax debt that you're not going to dispute, then there are really only two options, which would be entering into a payment arrangement with the ATO to pay off the debt over a period of time, or to consider whether it's worth winding up the company, which is something that you should only think about in terms of are the lodgements up to date so you can't be attacked with a director penalty notice later on. And I guess also in theory, there's you can make a hardship application, but I've seen I've never seen any of those accepted, and I'm not sure if that's really a helpful option for most taxpayers. You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to episode 308 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson, and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. I'm sure this has happened to all of us at least once. You suddenly get a no-caller ID call and you answer it, and it is the ATO. One of your clients hasn't paid their best in IAS for the past six months, so there is a substantial debt outstanding. So you promise the ATO that you will speak to your client and you call them, but no answer. So you try again, no answer. So you should probably leave them a message or send them a text message. But what do you say you're right? Please call me back, probably won't work because they know exactly why you're calling them. So you need to lead with the solution. But what is the solution? That is the question to Damien Lehman of NRAF Lawyers in Sydney. And then the ATO calls and it turns out that your client hasn't paid their best for the last four months and $50,000 is overdue and your client doesn't answer your phone calls at the moment. The first observation I have is, just speaking from experience now, I have the feeling that the ATO is treading very lightly at the moment. Like when I discussed this case and I mentioned that I can't reach my client and that I'm worried about the business is not going well, etc. They immediately were very understanding. They asked me whether I'm worried about their mental health, etc. You know, they, they seem to be very, very understanding. Is that your experience as well at the moment? Yes, it is. We are still in this weird tail end of COVID 2020 anyway, where the ATO became even more easygoing, you might say. But even pre-COVID, the ATO is pretty sympathetic The golden rule with the ATO is to be actively engaged with them. So as long as you're replying to them and communicating with them, you're already in the top 10% of taxpayers. And then furthermore, if you have, if there's any reality going on of health issues or mental issues or, you know, sort of mental health issues, I should say, the ATO is always quite sympathetic to that as well. That's been my observation anyway. And also, for example, while we had this discussion, they immediately said, okay, what we do is we put your client onto a zero interest arrangement, meaning that while we are sorting all this out, at least he's not accruing any more general interest charges, which I also thought was... Very generous. Very generous. And I hadn't heard of before that you could just stop GIC. Well, to the contrary, the ATO used to always tell you that the computer automatically put the GIC on and that there was nothing you could do to take it off to to the extent even that you'd negotiate a payment plan with the ATO, say it's over 12 months to pay off a million dollars, let's say. They would say, well, we 
yes, we'll agree to the million dollars, but the interest will tick along over that 12-month period and you just ring us up on the last day before you make the payment and then we'll take the GIC off. Yes, because that's exactly what I heard this time. Put it on. So, but you're right. I have heard that actually from someone else. That's definitely a COVID thing. I haven't yes. seen that before. And um, with the example you were talking about, I don't know if it was a, a real life one or not, but is is the issues were the were the issues directly linked to COVID and distress relating to that? No, but of course, COVID didn't help. Yeah, I understand. Okay. Well, that's even more interesting because the, the ATO, it sounds like, wasn't even particularly focused on whether that was a big factor before being so generous. So so what we learned from this is, A, the ATO can turn off the GIC, contrary to what they were told before. Maybe they changed their computer system so that they now can. Windows 11. Exactly, exactly. And then the other thing is also, yes, when GIC is already sitting on the account, then you basically have to pay off the entire debt, excluding the GIC, until they are ready to talk about, until remission of the GIC. Let's go beyond that, because GIC, yes or no, is only part of the debt. The other debt, of course, is the actual debt. And that, of course, is a lot harder to write off. I think that is pretty much impossible to write off, especially when it's GST and pays you go with holding. When you try to reach your client, of course, you don't want to come empty handed. You want to come with a plan to them. What are the options? I think one of them is a hardship application. I've never actually done a hardship application, so I would love to know whether you have and what it involves. And I think then the other option is payment plan. The next option is Would it work to liquidate the company? And arguably the fourth option of can you dispute the debt through some sort of legal or technical argument? But I, I, I guess we'll go ahead on the basis that there isn't one of those. Yeah, that's probably difficult when it's a best you lodged. Then it's probably difficult to dispute the debt, correct? Yeah, that, that's right. That's right. But it's still a fair point. If, for example, the ATO didn't accept a certain deduction or so and then issued an amended assessment, then, of course, you could object against that. And I've seen, as you probably have too, there's a lot of audits resulting you know, relating to Division 7A, deemed dividends and deductions not allowed and these sort of things where it's there's quite an arguable case often about whether people are entitled or not. But but sorry, in the simple case of the BAS and the GST and pay-as-you-go, so you you really have, have nailed them. There's the, the three there of a payment arrangement, a hardship application, or look at winding up. I have done one hardship application in the past and the ATO didn't – sorry, it's not the ATO. I think it's the, the Department of Finance that, it, that looks at those, slightly different department, but uh, it didn't. Uh, get accepted. And my understanding is only uh, like one or two a year get accepted. Oh, really? Okay. So basically don't bother. That's that's how I feel about it. The last time I looked at it a few years ago, that's those were the statistics. So yeah, I, I wouldn't really bother. Then you got a payment arrangement and we do that sort of work. We know a few specialized people who only do negotiations of tax debts with the ATO that we often refer people on to. You mean for payment arrangements? Yes. These would be about very high amounts, correct? Because otherwise payment arrangements I find are quite straightforward. Or is it then over a much longer period than 12 months, for example? 
that sort of thing. If you have multiple companies in different groups, there might be a complicated situation where there's many employees. And when there's all these different moving parts, is the ATO can be convinced of being, let's say, a bit more commercial because it's either, it's either accept a payment arrangement or wind us up and put everyone out of work. And, you know, if you do that, you probably won't get anything ATO. And those are sort of the arguments you run. But the payment arrangement is actually not just, okay, we pay over 12 months or we pay over 10 months. It's actually, we pay this debt and this debt. And for that, you will write off 50% of this debt and you will completely write off this debt. So when you say you have people specialized in payment arrangements, that would usually also involve a fair bit of writing off of tax debt, correct? Something like that, yes. It The reason I'm hesitant is because quickly, because like, the ATO is never really commercial. The ATO will only ever do a deal for some other amount if you can, if, if you put forward your alternative view of the facts. So if they're basically caught between a stone and a hard rock. Sort of like that. So like if the ATO wants a million dollars of you, you can't say, well, how about 500,000? Because that seems like a good figure in the middle. The ATO will then won't totally reject it, but they'll say, well, but you need to come up with why fi where $500,000 comes from. And you might say, oh, well, because we think we're allowed half of the deductions you haven't let us have. And that equals 500,000. And then the ATO might be more likely to accept that, but they need to kind of have a, a logical position for, for why they've accepted some other amount. And that kind of gets a bit vague for when it runs into like, how much are we just negotiating versus having a technical argument about what the real figure should be. And we're sort of somewhere in the middle then. Anyway, so payment arrangements are mostly like, you're correct, and mostly in a situation where we're not disputing the debt amount. But the few specialized people I know, and there's not many of them that work in this field, they seem to negotiate a bit further I suppose probably weighing up things like, you know, they might be auditing one company and they're about to audit the two other ones, but they haven't yet. And so maybe the ATO will be a bit more flexible about, you know, payment here and don't audit that one here. And I'm, I'm speculating very widely. Like payment arrangements you and I would do, they would be, yes, we know we owe a million dollars. Can we have three years to pay it? Do you need a mortgage over the director's house? You know, th these sort of things. So just to summarize, Payment arrangements are usually straightforward, but they might be more complicated. Hardship applications are usually not worth your time because about only one or two uh, get through each year. And I assume you need to be terminal and live on the street and have three young children or something in that department to, to qualify. So then we come to winding up. The business might still be operating and you move the business to another company or not yet. Tell me, what would this winding up look like to get away from the tax debt? There's sort of, the winding up is obviously always a difficult decision, but it comes to, it's a threshold question. At, at some point, the tax debt will outweigh the benefit of entering into a payment arrangement. If you're running a company, a business in a company, or even it's just a company that's investing in things or, or whatever, what's the point of it entering into a five-year payment plan if it could just wind up now and the assets, it doesn't have much assets or that sort of thing? in the first place. Essentially, we're talking about whether companies insolvent or likely to be soon. And in that case, depending on what assets are in that company, there isn't much reason to keep that company around. And in that case, what the taxpayer should think about 
is whether it's worth, as a director, first putting the company into administration, which then might lead to a, a registered liquidator being appointed. And then depending on how many creditors there are, they are, there are they will oversee oversee the process run by the registered liquidator. So that is not that complicated. There's a lot of costs involved whenever there's administrators and liquidators involved. The main thing to think about for a director then is director penalty notices, because if there's pay-as-you-go withholding GST or super that are not paid by the company, it used to be that you could just put the company in winding up within 21 days of getting a DPN, director penalty notice, and then the ATO could never chase chase the director personally for those amounts. But in 2012, they changed the law on that. And the winding up doesn't necessarily save a director from later getting uh, penalties for those amounts. The company has to also make sure the BAS is up to date. And if the super isn't paid on time, they have to at least file the document called the super guarantee charge statement. So the short version is, Winding up a company makes sense in many cases, particularly when there's a large tax debt. 90% of the time, the ATO is the largest creditor in these cases. But uh, it should great care should be taken that all those lodgements are up to date before doing so because years later, the company might have been wound up and deregistered, but the director can still get a DPN in the, ma- in the mail for those amounts and then they're personally liable to pay them and so they haven't really achieved anything of what they wanted and that's quite a a strict area of the law at the moment too and the ato is sending out a lot of those dpns and it's a lot of work that i do i have three questions the first one is you mentioned administrator and liquidator and i would love to drill you about the process later on but first of all that sounds expensive and hence it probably is only worth going through this process if the tax debt is quite high, probably much higher than 50,000, because I don't think 50,000 will last long with an administrator and liquidator working. I would mostly agree with that. I would say, though, my sense is, because in this situation, you're the director, the company is really you, you're, you have the option of appointing a liquidator to wind up the company. And just for formal reasons, you sort of can appoint an administrator first and then that becomes a liquidator and it's the same person. They just change their job title. But you choose the liquidator that you want. The liquidator is mostly concerned, in my personal opinion, with getting paid first for themselves. And as long as they see enough money in the company that they get paid, they're they're usually fine with that and then really they have an obligation to the ATO to collect further money the, for their for their tax debts that the AT, the company owes the ATO but in a, a large majority of cases there just isn't anything left and the ATO gets nothing or very or only cents in the dollar but that's just how the system works because we've decided we're going to allow people to set up these things called companies to take risks and and you know be be entrepreneurial and if everything goes badly like that then the ato they just they just miss out because there's no assets left and that's where the dpn regime comes in to chase people who have who haven't done the right thing even if there's not that much sort of money hanging around or not that much of a debt you can still wind up the company and often you don't have much choice the ato will wind it up for you if you don't do it yourself they'll appoint their own liquidator 
if there are no assets in the company, the liquidator won't act. So that means if you want a liquidator, you basically have to pay them from your own personal bank account. And then I can imagine you easily spend twenty, thirty thousand on a liquidator, correct? Or am I am I wrong? That sounds about right to me. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be a great return if you, for example, if you have a forty thousand dollar tax debt to appoint a liquidator for thirty thousand dollars, then I find like it's the easy exercise to just pay thirty thousand dollars to the ATO and find the $10,000 from somewhere. That's true. Yes. And I should also mention too, though, um, yeah, the, the ATO often though, once you get pretty far down the line of debt recovery and the ATO sent you all the letters and now they're suing either an individual taxpayer or the company, the ATO is very unlikely to do any sort of deal with people at that stage. That's too late for a payment arrangement in, in from what I've seen. And I had a client, he was a, uh, he was a baker in a shopping center in Adelaide and he was a sole trader and he, I think, racked up about $150,000 of pay-as-you-go withholding in super that he didn't pay because the company, the business started going badly and he prioritized the rent. Anyway, the, the long story short was the ATO started suing him for that and he only really had about $40,000 of equity in his house which he shared with his brother and the whole, and those three generations of family living in this house. And I tried to run the argument with the ATO of, you know, look, the, the debt you're chasing, I think if you took the penalties and the interest off for something like 80,000, if you make our client bankrupt, you'll in theory get 40,000, but you also have to force the sale and you have sales commissions and you have all these other things and you'll end up making less money than if you if you just accepted this $50,000 amount that he got a loan from one of his brothers. The ATO, they just said no. That was the one I did a hardship application for actually. And the ATO pretty much said, you're now an example. We have to make an example of your client here for not paying their taxes. And I guess that's a long-winded way of saying, once they're suing you in court, that I've never really seen an ATO really enter a payment arrangement or Sometimes, but there needs to be pretty unusual circumstances. There, there is a point where the ATO they just they'll they'll answer your calls and your letters and stuff, but they just won't really entertain much of what you have to say anymore. My second question is: You mentioned tax debt, and you mentioned pays you go withholding GST and super. My impression is you can declare the company insolvent and get away if it's a tax debt, so an income tax debt. But if it's a pay-as-you-go withholding GST or super debt, then even if you make the company insolvent, the uh, ATO will still hold you personally liable through a DPN. Is that right? They can't if you if all your bazers and your super guaranteed charge statement, if you file all the paperwork, then you can't be pursued under a DPN. If you file all the paperwork, put the company into winding up and wound it up, and a DPN hasn't arrived yet, then my understanding is one can't get you later. So the DPN is really only a weapon or a threat when you haven't lodged your BAS. But once you have lodged your BAS and you have lodged the super, etc., and everything, your, your books are basically clean, but you just haven't, haven't paid it, then a DPN is no longer a threat because you have, you have done your books. Uh, yes, that's right. And I, the way I think about it is I think the ATO... They're less focused on you not paying things and more focused on if you 
don't tell them what you owe. And that I think particularly was the case with super, whereas my understanding is with, with the super, you never really had to file any paperwork because you just paid the employees super funds directly. So the ATO never had a centralized way of figuring out whether you were paying any super at all until it was all too late. Um, so the particularly for for super, the ATO said, look, if you don't pay the super, that's one thing, but if you file a piece of paper called the super guarantee charge statement, which normally you don't have to file any paper for super, we won't make that stick to you with a DPN for years to come. So if you don't pay the super, we're not happy, but at least if you tell us about it by filing that piece of paper, then you will get out of a DPN. All of this, again, presuming that you've wound up the company before the ATO sends you a DPN. And this super guarantee statement is probably less relevant now with STP, correct? Because now with STP, the ATO knows how much super is due. I think so, yes. You still, all the law still applies the same. You still need to file that paperwork. But the, the ATO, I imagine that, that they know whether you're paying the super or not now because of that. And then my third question is, if you go down the way of liquidating the company, with the $50,000 GST and pays you go withholding deck debt inside, does that have future implications? So can your client still start a new company, still start a new business venture? or And does it affect the credit rating? Well, so I guess we're talking about you wound up the company and the company no longer exists. So we're looking at what effects does it have on the director who goes on and does other things. I'm not really sure about the credit rating stuff. I don't know if that affects the director since they're a different legal entity, but I do know with if, if you're the director of two or more insolvent companies, then you can be disqualified from being a director if ASIC chooses to uh, to run with that. Because then you're basically doing phoenixing because you consistently and again and again run companies to the ground and walk away from pay-as-you-go withholding a GST. We talk a lot about anti-Phoenix legislation, but I don't think there has been much strong legislation actually put in place. It's quite a complicated area to figure out whether someone's, you know, Phoenixing, meaning we burn one company and just set up the, a business in a new company and continue in a quite disingenuous way. It's hard, I think, to draw the line between that activity and, you know, genuine business failure and people just trying again, which is something we we want to encourage, which is why the system is set up the way it is to allow people to to draw a line, wind up the company and, and, and try again. You know, most successful people fail several times before they succeed. But I think a shortcut, because because they've had trouble getting the legislation on this, they have that rule there about if you've been director of two or more insolvent companies, then ASIC at least has the option to pursue you, which, I've, well, I've seen it once or twice, but it's very rare that I've seen ASIC do that. So I suspect they do their own thinking about, are you one of the Phoenix people that we don't like? We're going to go after you on that. And uh, the missing piece for them was until I think this year, that it was quite hard for ASIC to keep track of who were directors where because of the different, different names. Because if, If I had, I was a director of one company without my middle name and another one, I had my middle name on the ASIC register, the ASIC system thinks I'm two different people and it can't necessarily keep track of how many companies I've gone and burned up. But that's when they introduced the director 
identification number or the DIN, which I think came in this year. Anyway, recently it came in. Now Damien has a number and they can tra track all the companies that I've burned to the ground. And they're really going to use that to start pursuing people if they think there's, well, they're doing the wrong thing and they're phoenixing. That is my sense of it. So that's mm. the main implication, really, other than the DPN stuff we've talked about. The advice to the client who owes $50,000 to the ATO could be, yes, you can wind up this company and you can start a new business venture, but you can only do this once. If you now also burn this business venture and you walk again away from GST and pays you go withholding debts, then you probably have a red point on your forehead. Yeah, pretty much I agree with that. I, I hesitate to think that just having two companies, even though technically that's enough, I still don't think really you'll be too much on the radar. But it is, it's always, and I've been advising a client about this recently where, where you say, look, you can wind it up. This will be, I think they're on the third company maybe over a, a decade or so. It's just another one to add to the list. And, and another one on the list is probably not necessarily going to trigger things, but you don't know. It might. It's something to avoid if you can. So you're right. That's another thing to, to weigh up. And then also the other thing to weigh up is, again, the cost of winding up. Because we, we spoke about twenty to $30,000 before. Is that a fair estimate? Or do you think one can also wind up a company for two or $3,000? Well, I suppose so. we're still talking about a pretty small company, I guess, in, in that case. Look, at twenty to 30000 I wouldn't rule that out. The one to $2,000, yeah, I don't think that option really exists. If the company is completely empty... And it's just liquidated because, for example, the business owner retires. That doesn't cost anything to liquidate, correct? If there are no assets and no liabilities in the company, then you can, the accountant can liquidate the company, correct? Uh, that's right. Technically, you call that deregistration. Deregistration always happens, but sometimes you have to have a step before of winding up. And that's, I think it's, is it more than a thousand or five thousand dollars of assets? Something like that you have to do a winding up and there's a, a sort of middle category of what they call members voluntary winding up, which is when the company is not insolvent, it is still solvent. It's got, you know, essentially more assets than liabilities. In that case, you don't need a registered liquidator. The person who's the director can be appointed as, as the sort of liquidator in that case to wind up the company which has say 20,000 of assets and, and not much liabilities. And it just, it's a file, a form filing exercise with ASIC. And we, we do that sort of thing for people where the director is essentially the liquidator for that. So, and that's more like your two to $5,000 thing you're talking about, but that's only available to uh, solvent companies. There has to be a declaration of solvency before you do that, that process. So if you, insolvent, then you, you are stuck with a registered liquidator and it's really whether you appoint them or the or the ATO churns along with their process and eventually appoints them their own liquidator instead. Yes, but wouldn't that be a cheap option then? You just let it sit, you ignore letters and in the end the ATO comes and winds it up. But can they then go after your personal assets or can this whole thing just quietly go away without any further costs because the ATO does the liquidation? Potentially, like like you made the fair point, if there's really no assets in the company. And just this $50,000 debt. Just the debt, say. 
it probably isn't unheard of that you'd have to, you know, the liquidator wants to be paid, you know, fair enough. So then you'd have to maybe go in your own pocket to pay for that. And that's an expense. And if you didn't want to do that, you could wait for the ATO to appoint their own liquidator. My sense would be if the ATO appoints their own liquidator, they're probably more ATO friendly, let's say, and they might be going to do more investigations into where money went or perhaps focus on were you trading while insolvent and bring up, you know, what was there a point of time that the company was insolvent and the director should have wound it up then and didn't and therefore under Section 588G of the Corporations Act, should we go after them in the federal court for trading while insolvent? Yes, and then the personal assets are on the line again. That's exactly right. And this is a grey area because it shouldn't make any difference because a liquidator is essentially an officer of the court. They're totally independent. Whether you appoint them or the ATO appoints them, it should make no difference about the duties they they follow. They're meant to protect the interests of the creditors, regardless of who appointed them or not. But I suspect real life is a bit more complicated than that. So if you have a company and it has a tax debt that you're not going to dispute, then there are really only two options, which would be entering into a payment arrangement with the ATO to pay off the debt over a period of time or to consider whether it's worth winding up the company, which is something that you should only think about in terms of are the lodgements up to date so you can't be attacked with a director penalty notice later on. And I guess also in theory, there's you can make a hardship application, but I've seen, I've never seen any of those accepted and I'm not sure if that's really a helpful option for most taxpayers. Welcome back. So unfortunately, there is no silver bullet. Making a payment arrangement and asking the ATO to at least please stop the GIC is really all you got because hardship applications are not really worth your time and liquidation is really only worth the cost of the liquidator and administrator if the tax debt is high enough. And even then, you always run the risk that the ATO will look for trading while insolvent and go after your personal assets through a DPN. So liquidation is really only a safe option if you made somebody else a director who has no assets and you also were very careful to not become a shadow director. In the next episode, episode 309, Simon Bacon of Mansby in Scott in Melbourne will talk about child maintenance trusts and whether they help your clients to save tax. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.